Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 104, The Battle. We meet again, humans, for another edition of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray, but you can call me Damon Ray. And I'm John Champion, but you can call me John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we look deeply into a single episode of Star Trek, and we're looking at every episode of Star Trek to pick it apart for the morals, meanings, messages, the deep, hidden ideas that lie maybe just underneath the surface. This week, the battle, or a battle, depending on who you ask and their opinion of it. Speaking of which, opinions that is, if you have something to share with us, we would love to hear from you. You can uh, get in touch with us on Facebook, Skype, or Twitter, where our handle is MissionLogPod. You can call us, 323-522-5641. You can email us, MissionLog at Roddenberry.com. We have a great website that we would love for you to check out, MissionLogPodcast.com. And then there are a couple of other places on the web that you can bump into us, too. We are proudly carried on TrekMovie.com and on Trek FM, and that is found online at trek.fm or uh, on the iTunes or in the other places where they do the other pod things. And please remember, wherever you get in touch with us, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Ken, I was really trying to picture you getting into character as a Ferengi for the opening. I was dancing know. around like crazy, although I was doing, <laughs> I was doing more last outpost hand movements. Okay, I, yeah, I was wondering, yeah, is it, is it the old school, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, the really old last outpost yeah, Ferengi? The, the Ferengi that we the, got used to for so long. How, yeah. we, we had those, like, you know, crazy spastic Ferengi for, what, like 46, 47 minutes, maybe? Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it's such a... Uh, it was starting to change, and we're really starting to see that difference in the Ferengi. It, it might even make you wonder, like, well, who is the guy who wrote this? Ken, that's my clever segue into uh, bringing us into trivia. Are you ready? Well, it would have been a lot more clever you? if you hadn't, you know, said it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Okay. Jokes aren't funnier when you have to explain them. I would All love right. to hear what you have to offer in the way of trivia this week, Mr. Champion. Please uh, proceed. That's what we call a segue. So uh, (laughs) you might remember uh, mentioning that the writer uh, Herbert Wright, uh, we talked about him when we talked about The Last Outpost. Well, he penned that one as well as today's episode. Uh, We're two Ferengi episodes in, and he has the distinction of scripting both of them. Hmm. Uh, Now, the original story concept for the battle was written by Larry Forrester, who had a long career in TV, uh, notably writing several episodes of Fantasy Island. Uh, The battle was his last TV writing credit. He sadly passed away shortly after it aired. Um, We also mentioned before director Rob Bowman, Bowman, who did Where No One Has Gone Before. He was 27 years old when he started directing Next Gen. And uh, he was kind of a protege of Bob Justman. Uh, So Justman brought him into Next Gen. We want to mention that uh, Frank Corsentino uh, played Damon Bach in this episode. He will be returning to Star Trek a little bit later, briefly, but he will be coming back. Um, 
He didn't have a terribly extensive career, uh, surprisingly, because he was around for more than 40 years in Hollywood. And uh, But a, a couple of credits of his that really stuck out to me, Gilligan's Island <laughs> and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So from the sublime to the ridiculous, all in the span of his career. Some of the uncredited actors, I thought, had very interesting credits. Um, and, and there are a number of people on Next Gen who go uncredited credited and uh, a lot of them are kind of regularly recurring uh, crew members of the Enterprise who, who show up, you know, whenever you need, oh, we'll get that guy we had from last week. Uh, so Tim McCormick appeared as Bennett in 59 episodes. Uh, Lauren Mendel appeared in 51 episodes as Gettings. Um, and that, that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. There's only a couple of them. We have others who appeared in dozens and dozens of episodes the further we go on. I thought it was interesting, the blonde woman who is an officer on the Stargazer sequences that we will get to uh, is Shay Harrison, who very soon after her Star Trek appearance joined the cast of The Bold and the Beautiful. To this day, she has been in 493 episodes of that show. And uh, for an actor, that is a nice gig if you can get it. We have to talk about the set pieces, Ken. Um, (laughs) It was originally written that the Stargazer would be a Constitution-class ship, i.e. just like the Enterprise, the original original Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, or or the refit Enterprise. So they would have indeed used the refit Enterprise model from the movies. Um... But it was later decided that a new ship should be used. And I think wisely so. They felt like, well, the Enterprise is special. Mm -hmm. And if we just see a whole bunch of Enterprises around or a whole bunch of Constitution-class ships, it it, it takes something away from that. That's Kirk's ship. So they actually dubbed the lines in the episode where they said Constitution-class into Constellation-class, where they needed to. Wait, wait. I want, to, I want to stop you for one second, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. we saw other Enterprise-shaped ships in the original series. Well, we did in the original series, but now yeah. we're talking, you know, nearly yeah, no, 25 years, years on. Yeah, yeah, years later, you wouldn't want to do that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, so I guess, and this is getting really geeky, are all Constellation-class ships shaped like the Enterprise? Or is, I mean, it's just a class of ship, right? Or a Constitution-class ships. Okay, well, whichever. Yeah. Sorry. So, well, well generally speaking, the, the idea is the, the first model, the, the first version of a ship mm-hmm. defines the name of that class of ship. Okay. So you would assume that for the Enterprise, the first of, of that design was called the Constitution. Hmm. And then everything that came after it was a Constitution class. Now, now that's one way of interpreting it, and it's one of the better ways that I've had uh, heard of interpreting it. There may be other ways to look at that, but to me, that makes quite a bit of sense. And I've seen that oft repeated of, uh, of how that sort of naming scheme is determined. Huh. So, yeah, you, you would see that the, the Enterprise would be one of... Of many, although these are these are big, expensive things. Yeah. <laughs> so how many we don't know. Well, but you know, you look at the original series, and here's the thing: we ran into other ships that looked like the Enterprise. But a, was very, very early in the history, and b, that's a huge cost-cutting measure because they literally would go down to the store, buy an AMT model kit of the Enterprise, and then just <laughs> change the name on it, and boom, here you go. Here's a new ship. All right, I hate to do this. What class was the Reliant? 
Oh, you know what? I don't remember off the top of my head. All right. And and I should know. Well, no, here, here's what we'll do. We'll check it during the break, and then we'll come back and we'll say. Okay. Because I don't want to break your stride right now. I don't want to slow you down. Oh, no. Okay. I know you've got more trivia to do. <laughs> that, that was that was good. Um, yeah, so that that was, uh, hence, the, the dubbing of the line to turn that into Constellation class. And hence, probably why myself and probably a lot of people confuse them just because those uh, those wires get crossed in our heads. And we go, oh, Con- Constellation, Constitution, uh, not the same thing. But now we know that the Enterprise-D is a galaxy-class starship. Um, Now, even though they didn't use that original model, they did use the bridge uh, set pieces from the Enterprise from the movies. Readily apparent. And it is also the set which was used as the Reliant, and also the set that was used as the secondary or battle bridge on the Enterprise-D. So we caught a little glimpse of that when we separated the two hulls in Encounter at Farpoint. And uh, those were the the original series movie-era chairs that they brought in to kind of flesh out that set. And uh, we even got a shot of the turbo lift as it was seen in the motion picture when we had that shot on the Stargazer. I don't know if you noticed that, Ken, but it had kind of that green padding on the walls and it seemed to be lit very differently from the rest of the uh, the Stargazer Bridge. So that would really jumped out at me like, oh, look, it's like visiting an old friend. It, you know, it did seem familiar. And by the way, I quit paying attention to you because I wanted to go ahead and look it up now because, you know, this is the trivia segment, not new oh, segment. Oh, good for you. Um, good the, for you. The Reliant is a Miranda class starship, nice. according to uh, Memory Alpha, which, as we know, has all of the information ever about anything ever having to do with uh, having to do with ever. the Federation or Starfleet ever. Ever. And if you want to uh, turn off its uh, shields, then the, the prefix code is 16309. The ghosts of a skirmish past come to play havoc with the mind of Captain Picard. Let's let Ken tell us more. Prologue. It's our old pals, the Ferengi. Did I say pals? I meant it's the Ferengi. Starfleet has ordered the Enterprise to rendezvous with the Ferengi at the Ferengi's request, though when the Enterprise does, the Ferengi just tell the Enterprise to stand by. That was three days ago, and the whole thing is giving Captain Picard a headache. At least he assumes that's what's giving him the headache. It really worries Dr. Crusher, though, because while everyone knows what a headache is, nobody gets them anymore. They went the way of the dodo, the death penalty, and the common cold. Dr. Crusher orders the captain to sick bay for some tests, but just then the Ferengi finally have something to say. The test will have to wait. On the bridge, Captain Picard makes contact with Damon Bach. Bach says he's asked the Enterprise there to discuss a mutual problem. So your place or mine? Picard and crew decide it would be better to do this, whatever it is, on their home turf, and say that they would love to have Bach over to their ship for a chat. See you in one hour. Act 1. With a full hour, Dr. Crusher has Picard and sickbay for those tests, and they are totally... Inconclusive. She'll give him something to mask the pain, though. The hour is almost up, but right before the Ferengi are set to arrive, acting Ensign Wesley Crusher comes bounding onto the bridge. He was playing around with boosting the ship's sensors and picked up another incoming ship, a Constellation-class starship. Check and check. Good work! Except Picard says he should have reported it immediately from where he was rather than coming to the bridge to deliver the message himself. Seems a bit coincidental, doesn't it? 
an incoming ship arriving at the exact same time that the Ferengi are supposed to get here? Yeah, it turns out that incoming ship is a gift from the Ferengi. The ship is the Stargazer, a ship Picard commanded nine years ago when he blew some other unidentified ship out of the sky. Some Ferengi ship, it turns out, but Picard wouldn't have known that since Starfleet had never encountered the Ferengi to that point. The Ferengi referred to it as the Battle of Maxia. Picard refers to it as Tuesday? That was something that happened. Actually, the battle was kind of a big deal, not because of who they fought, but how it went. The Stargazer was the victim of an unprovoked attack. On fire and about to be destroyed, Picard gave the Stargazer a short, close-range burst of warp speed. Not only did this put the Stargazer in ridiculously close firing range of the opposing vessel, it also made it look like there were two Stargazers. The opposing ship fired on the wrong one, and the Stargazer won the day. People who learn about it at the Academy now call that technique the Picard Maneuver. And now Damon Bach would like to present the Stargazer to Picard to commemorate the Battle of Maxia. For free! Which is very unferengi. Act 2. Picard, Dr. Crusher, and Counselor Troy are back in sickbay. During the discussions with the Ferengi, Picard was obviously hit with another doozy of a headache. Troy says she felt it, like something from the captain's past. Also, he's showing signs of not being able to distinguish between now and nine years ago. He says the Stargazer was on fire during the battle, and suddenly he smells smoke. And no one else does. In a meeting with senior staff, Picard tells the story of the Battle of Maxia, and he slips between now and then again, asking his weapons officer from nine years ago, what's going on? Eh, whatever. Picard says he would like to go over to the Stargazer. Can do, says Riker, as soon as we make sure it's safe. Far as they can tell it is, and they signal Picard to come on over. He wanders about, heading to his old quarters where, ow, 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 that is the worst headache so far, caused perhaps by that glowing yet unseen orb in his personal possessions. And hey, look at that, Damon Bach, hidden away on his ship, has another one. It's bigger, it's controlling the smaller one in Picard's stuff, and it's obviously what's hurting Picard's head and mixing up his own personal timeline. The whole thing's wiping Picard out. He leaves Riker in charge of the Enterprise and heads to his quarters, where his personal effects from the Stargazer have been deposited. But that's not all they got. Data has downloaded all of the... Well, data, let's say, from the Stargazer to the Enterprise. Picard's personal log from nine years ago tells a very different story than the official one. It says that the ship the Stargazer was fighting had identified itself and was under a flag of truce. Act 3. Picard says the personal log is a fake. Riker figures the Ferengi have faked Picard's voice. Still, he has to report the incident. It'll take two days to get the report to Starfleet and receive a reply. That's two days to figure out what's actually going on. Riker figures he'll start with a discussion with the Ferengi first officer, Kazago. If Damon Bach knew about Picard's infamy, why the gift? The mere question angers Kazago, who cuts communications. Meanwhile, Bach is still hidden away, playing with the orb that's playing with Picard's head. And Crusher is still trying to figure out what's going on. The headaches, plus the altered personal log, have Picard really wondering about what happened at Maxia. The whole thing's got him questioning his sanity. Then and now. Crusher gives him a sedative and leaves him to sleep. Sleep does not equal rest for the captain these days, though. Eyes closed, he is back at the Battle of Maxia, put there by Damon Bach. Act 4. Data confirms that Picard's personal log from the Stargazer has been faked. Picard's back up an atom, which surprises everyone, including Dr. Crusher. He seems in great spirits, 
fit and ready for duty. Dr. Crusher doesn't like it, but she has her orders. Picard orders Riker to release the Stargazer from the tractor beam, towing it along. Back in sick bay, Dr. Crusher and Counselor Troy are looking over Picard's brain scans and trying to figure out what's going on. Acting Ensign Wesley Wizkid Crusher had glanced the brain scans earlier, and hey, that's odd. One of the patterns in the captain's scans matches a pattern coming from the Ferengi ship earlier. Wes says he's never seen anything like it. Dr. Crusher and Troy think whatever it is might be affecting the captain and decide to take their concerns to Commander Riker. Convinced that what they brought him is what's affecting the captain, Riker tries to get to the captain. But he is no longer aboard the Enterprise, having beamed himself to the Stargazer. Once there, Daemon Bach reveals himself to Picard as the force that's been affecting the captain's mind. It turns out the Ferengi ship Picard destroyed was commanded by Daemon Bach's son. Now Bach has set Picard up to believe that he's back in control of the Stargazer nine years ago and rigged the ship for voice control. Picard will think he's attacking the Ferengi ship as he flies against the Enterprise. Bach out. Act 5. The bridge crew has figured out that the orb in Picard's personal effects is sort of amplifying another mind-control device. This is basically confirmed by Ferengi First Officer Kazago, though he says that the thought-maker is forbidden technology. He obviously had no idea that there were any around. Riker not so subtly suggests that Daemon Bach is controlling them, but Kazago does not have the fortitude to question his Daemon. Until he does. While the Stargazer is about to attack, First Officer Kazago calls to say Daemon Bach is no longer in command of his vessel. He's been detained for leading this unprofitable adventure. Meanwhile, the Stargazer is swinging around on the Enterprise. All goes as Bach had planned, except the part where the Stargazer attacks the Enterprise. Picard tries to, even pulling the Picard maneuver. But the Enterprise is a newer, bigger, and more powerful ship. Data devises a way to stop the Stargazer in its tractor beam. Riker then calls to the captain and convinces him to destroy the orb that's controlling his mind. Free and clear, Picard says he is ready to beam back to the Enterprise. The end. Yeah. Can I yeah. can can I can I can I just welcome a new character, by the way? And it's Do not it. it's not Damon Bach. No, I'm very excited. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a talking computer aboard the Enterprise. Bravo. Yeah. Now Bravo. we I guess it was in Star Trek three, the search for Spock. Mm-hmm. Is the first time well, it's not the first time. It's the last time we had a talking computer, I believe. But even then, it was just, um, you know, one of the Klingons beams onto the bridge, and they get there, and they say, well, you know, the ship is talking. Mm-hmm. But all it is is a countdown. I mean, yeah. all it's doing is counting, you know, from 60 to, to zero, which you could yeah. probably, when we were kids, there were probably, you know, games that you could get to do that. <laughs> we actually have a talking computer this time, which is, uh, I, I know one member of our team who must be excited. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, apparently Klingon kids didn't have computers that could talk uh, because they, yeah. they're just totally thrown by the whole thing, except for the commander who gets things like a countdown. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> right. was, that was sad. And he realizes it's the final countdown. Mm. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Anyway. Now I'm going to have that stuck in my head. Yeah, you and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you are mm-hmm. all welcome. Hey, it's better than Break <laughs> My Stride, though, isn't it? Oh, it is. no. Oh, great. Now that's back. Now it's like a thunderstorm in your head. Yeah. <laughs> They're fighting with each other. Yep. Um, you know, it, it is interesting that, that we start off just so distrustful of the Ferengi, just, you know, right off the bat, because I, I we mentioned this when we uh, talked about the last outpost. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we had that little bit of a, a discussion on the bridge, like, oh, hey, we're about to meet the Ferengi. And we talked to them for 10 seconds. And then Riker is like, nope, 
Nope, nope, nope. Don't trust him. Ew, <laughs> you know, look it's at like, it even gives it a little lip service. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm all for keeping an open mind, but, but. not here. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I mean, it's weird to me, though, that you think it's weird that we're still distrustful of the Ferengi, because remember the whole time we did see them, and you're right, Riker jumped straight to, I don't like these guys. Yeah. But then they proceeded to prove why he shouldn't. I mean, it's again, it's sort of like the whole calming down of the Ferengi, especially uh, with Kazago. I mean, this is, these are actually people that you're going to be able to deal with, maybe, but we can get to that later. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's not weird to me that they wouldn't trust them, because the only run-in we've had with the uh, Ferengi at this point... They spent the whole time trying to kill the Enterprise. Right. So, right. you know, makes sense yeah. to me. Um, I, I thought it was I, the whole thing about the headache yeah. kind of it just really stood out to me and in, in kind of a weird way. And I know it's sort of probably intended as one of those throwaways like, you know, oh, look, we're so advanced. We're in the 24th century. We don't have headaches or colds anymore. Right. Um, but I, it, it really – it didn't bother me, but it just sort of – it really made me think. It really made me wonder. Um, I think that even in the 23rd century, we had not yet kicked the common cold, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Hey, yeah. there, there was stuff going on besides what we watched with the Enterprise for those 80 years, dude. Yeah, right. There was a lot of – there was huge, huge Federation R&D yeah. dedicated to – Fighting uh, viruses, which is great, or viri, viri, uh, which is great. Yeah, I- I'm very glad. Yeah, um, but I, but I, I kept thinking, you know, a headache is kind of a vague thing, which has multiple. It, it is a symptom with with just a myriad of causes. So it's sort of like saying, you know, oh, I I bumped into something and hurt my arm. What? You you have pain? We don't have pain anymore. Yeah. How impossible! And Crusher has this interesting line: before the brain was charted. Before we understood the nature of pain yes. and uh, before we had cured the common cold. I mean, mm-hmm. Well, different things, different ideas. We're talking about a virus versus a, uh, uh, a neurological, you know, just a, a firing of synapses and pressure in the brain, in the cranium. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just something about that struck me as very strange. Like, yeah. I would think that a headache would be something that is just sort of something that doesn't go away. You can cure it a lot faster in the 24th century. Why well, wouldn't think it's something that just disappears? First of all, we don't actually know what these people are walking around with inside them, right? We know nothing about medicine in the 24th century yet. It's possible that there's nanotechnology. It's possible that there's like some sort of intravenous, intravenous drip that they can do so that the mm-hmm. second that happens, it's you know stopped. But, I mean, really what this comes down to, I think, again, is the the vision that Gene Roddenberry had for the 24th century versus the vision that people have come to accept uh, maybe with later uh, tellings of Star Trek or even later episodes of um, of, of Next Gen. Mm-hmm. All problems are cured. All, you know, everything's taken. It's, it's all good. It is literally yeah. all good. <laughs> right. To the right. point that if you have a headache, this could be indicative of something much, much worse going on because – Everything is fine in, yeah. in the uh, in the Federation that uh, that that they were writing about, at least in this, you know, in the first few episodes of this first season. Who knows well, what's going to happen struck- later? But yeah, right. Right. Well, maybe that's why it struck me as so strange. Hmm. You know, I, it, to um, me it was just beautiful. I mean, I, I love that idea. It's like, wow, even that, even that. Wow, yeah. Even that. OK, because remember, they cured crime. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, okay, so maybe maybe that's what disturbs me about it is the idea that you can cure crime because you yeah. can you can detect the seeds. We and have I'm no assuming idea. some we neurological have, thing here, we and we no, don't know what they do with it. Nope. But then it's like, okay, well, we, we've mapped your brain, and and we have on file what we think is the correct order of your brain. But boy, if we see anything that see? even looks like a headache, we're just going to take that right out. This is probably something that we should go back to in a uh, supplemental at some point. We did get an interesting email from somebody who assumed that uh, that once we detect the issues with crime, uh, we do something crazy. And it's not something we do a lot with uh, with with children or even other people, you know, here in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. But when we detect problems like crime, we talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you know, right, right. that's nutty future talk. But apparently uh, uh, this email that we got, and we'll have to dig it up and actually read it uh, on the supplemental, I think. But his argument about what happens, you know, when they detect the seeds of, of uh, criminal behavior is is we actually work with those people to maybe kind of, you know, turn them from a life of crime or from a life of violence or something like that. I'm, I'm still very curious about all of that. Yeah, I would like, be very curious it, it, about that, too. Yeah, yeah, because it, it plays into a whole... It might. Uh, it, it might play into. We don't know. Yeah. You and I you and I both yeah. went straight there, but that's because, you know, I, yeah. I have an unhealthy fascination with, uh, with the work of Dr. Tristan Adams. Yeah, you do. You I do. do. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yes. I'm naming well, my next dog Tantalus. <laughs> Let's get back to the Ferengi, shall yes, we? Yes, why don't we? Um, I, I'm so greatly amused that that we shoot them super close up in front of that white background, just bigger than life on the uh, on the screen. Because not only not only is it an interesting way for we the audience to look at them, but it, it sort of plays into a thing in my head about the Ferengi character. Mm-hmm. Like a, they probably don't know how to back away from the camera. <laughs> And uh, and B, that it's designed to to kind of be an intimidation tactic. Yeah, I think, just in your face. I think it's that one because you know yeah, yeah. you don't you never see a tall Ferengi, right? At least we, no, have, no. we haven't so far. So they're going to be like right up on the camera and big and imposing and, mm-hmm. and filling as much mm-hmm. of the screen as they can. Because then once you actually meet them, yeah, yeah, you, you kind of want to put them off 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 their guard. I would think when you first. If you're a Ferengi, you, you kind of want to look as imposing as you can on camera because, you know, once you actually shake hands, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> Not so much. Yeah. And, and I do kind of wonder, you know, we have all those scenes between uh, Picard talking to Damon Bach and he's on the screen. And, and even in that first one, when Damon Bach says, well, we should meet up, you know, where, where are we going to go? And Picard just cuts the transmission, <laughs> leaving him hanging. And it's like a good 15, 20, maybe even 30 seconds while they discuss it mm-hmm. on the bridge of the Enterprise. How does a guy on the other end feel? Like, have you ever done that to someone in a phone call? You just they, they propose something like, hey, let's go grab dinner tonight. You just cut them off and just disappear <laughs> for a minute. You're like, ah, boy, how do I really feel about that? And then you come back with kind of the canned answer. It's, it's um, weird. It's weird later, too, when they're like, oh, um, so he's talking to Kazago, right? Riker's talking to Kazago, and then mm-hmm. uh, Picard's like trying to trying to uh, horn in, you know, to, mm-hmm. to say what he wants to say. And, and Riker's like, well, switch. And he can't. Because Kazago, is it, is it whoever starts the call? Is that how it works? Because Kazago's like, oh, by the way, we relieved our captain. Oh, by the way. I mean, he like like three yeah, times yeah, Riker's yeah, yeah. trying to hang up on him. And Kazago's yeah. like, oh, but did it. Right. And he, and he can't <laughs> hang up on him, which is which is very weird. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're going to think but, about this that much, which I can't believe we are, but go ahead. Oh, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you, you better believe it. I know. You better, I know. About it. 
I, I have to say that, you know, it's right off the bat, like the, the whole thing is pretty exciting for, for fans who love minutia and backstory. Like I, I love seeing the Stargazer. It's a cool looking ship. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting blend of old and new. You know, the, the Enterprise D is so super advanced and with these fluid lines and very organic looking. So it's kind of nice to take a look back and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the logs of that battle are nine years old. Right. So look how far we've come in nine years or the Stargazer was already just an antiquated piece of junk by the time Picard was in command of it using that kind of movie era technology. Well, I mean, it was. Yes. You see, my assumption was that it was actually a much like he was in charge of of an older ship. Probably Mm -hmm. the uh, the Stargazer was was fairly close to retirement anyway, I would think. I'm actually a little confused at why they left it, though. Because, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, no, it was on fire and it was terrible. And we had to we we had to get in the shuttlecraft. And we were in shuttlecraft for like a, a huge long time. And then they go back and they're like, yeah, no, it's got most of its armaments. And there was a little bit of damage on the inside. But it it'll fly. Works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it still works. It's a fine ship. This is, it's, you know, I, they'll have no problem running that about when they get it back to Starfleet. And I'm like, well, why did they abandon ship then? Right, right, yeah. right. I kept thinking it's kind of like a captain today being in command of the Lusitania, <laughs> you know, something about a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it is sort of like, oh, OK, well, here, you know, you, you're a captain now. Take take this old ship. But then abandoning it because the coffee maker stopped working. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. This is a disaster. I can't work yeah. under these conditions. Everybody off the ship. Just, just, just get off the ship. No, leave your personal <laughs> effects here. There won't be room for them in the shuttlecraft right. that we're going to inhabit for weeks because I can't get a good cup of tea. Yeah. This is a little bit of a tangent, but since you mentioned that, um, it it is interesting. I I took a cruise years ago on the Norway, which was the France. So at the time, it was, you know, a a 45, 50-year-old ocean liner Mm -hmm. that had been repurposed and reused. And a a few months after that cruise, one of the boilers had exploded. It was still a a, a steamship. One Mm -hmm. of the boilers had exploded. And they literally told everybody on board, all, all the crew members, leave your things here, go ashore. And, you know, don't, don't worry, we'll take care of you. And in a few weeks, you'll all come back and we'll, we'll resume as we had been. That day never came because they couldn't make the repairs. And it was finally decided to scrap the ship. And there are photos of that ship years later um, in the in the breakers uh, in the Indian Ocean. And people had gotten on board and they took photos of everything left exactly as it was. So like the captain's desk still has you know, a coffee cup on it and his papers and you look in the closet and all the uniforms are hanging up. Mm-hmm. It's the creepiest, weirdest thing. So maybe that's why a story like this kind of uh, uh, excites my imagination. Again, though, the difference is the Stargazer actually still worked. <laughs> you know, yes. The doorway yes, yes, wasn't yes. going, literally wasn't going anywhere. The Stargazer, on the other hand, is just like, yeah, yeah, it's, well, let's get out of here. Yeah, but the Norway, the Norway still had our weapons. Okay, okay, well, <laughs> it still had all her weapons. I'm minus sure. six torpedoes, but go ahead. <laughs> right, um, Ken, remember the phrase uh, the Picard maneuver mm-hmm. uh, because we'll hear that again, maybe under a different context. Yeah, just saying. I have to say that in this episode, Riker takes command in a great way. How we, so? We've seen, well, we, we've seen a little bit of Riker taking command, but when uh, when Picard is gone and and Riker just jumps right in and he's heading into the uh, into the captain's office and he's contacting the Ferengi ship, I, I, he shows great command 
skills. Should we, talk, I, should we actually talk about the fact that this is, I think, the third time that the captain has either lost his mind or been taken over by something? Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, true. in fairness, um, um, the naked now, that, mm-hmm. happened, that happened to everybody. So, mm-hmm. okay, we won't, we'll, we'll cut him some slack there. But then there was the one with, um, with the Lonely Among Us. Yeah. Where he's sort of, I don't want to say he was taken over, but he was sort of co-opted, right? I mean, he, he joined together with some other force. Some say, others say he was just taken over. It depends on, you know, which side of that argument you're on. But that's twice. Mm-hmm. And now episode seven, I believe, in Next Gen, we have the captain once again not in control of his faculties. And and, and mm-hmm. there are always good reasons. But, you know, seriously, at some point, because let's let's remember then, this is like the seventh adventure that Riker has had with him. Sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> At some right. point, he's going to be like, geez, this guy. I mean, you know, <laughs> just keep it together for like two episodes in a row. If you could do that, right. Captain, I'm going to be on your side. In the meantime, yeah, then I'm, I'm, I'm practicing different ways to take command. Well, and it's interesting that it's always the captain who is the victim of this stuff. Well, you know, it just, I, I mean, here. He's the captain. Clearly, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But there's also a thousand other people on board, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's got to be somebody else losing his mind that we don't hear about. And and we will come across one of those at some point. Very we excited will. to get to him. Yeah. We will. We I will. I won't yeah. say his name right now. Nope. Maybe I'll mispronounce nope. it. Okay. <laughs> um, how about that line, uh, I'm all ears? Uh, 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 as you humans uh, say oh yeah good one i have a question um should wesley just be allowed to be monkeying around with the sensors nope no he should not i mean i I understand he's been like you know he's been ordained by the traveler and picard knows that but seriously at some point i mean nobody else knows that i mean seriously is an acting ensign just allowed to go down to engineering and start messing with stuff well, I, that's yeah. This is a problematic episode for Wesley, and and Will Wheaton himself wrote in a review later on. He says, like, okay, this episode, this is the moment where maybe an unease with Wesley turned into audience hate for Wesley. Why? Um, well, it, this, is not, this is not his worst moment so far. I I have no problem actually with how he acted. I'm, I have a problem with. I think it was Shimoda who was supposed to be watching stuff. Yeah, well, we all have a problem with Shimoda. If Wesley's just down there, you know, uh, screwing around with the sensors, then it must have been Shimoda that was in charge of it. Uh, he he says, I mean, look, first of all, the, the, the line's like, uh, adults. Uh, first of all, it was just terrible. No, and it's terrible the way they treated him. I got no problem with that. That was poorly edited. That was poorly shot. But uh, Troy is either a really bad empath or she just doesn't even try it with kids or it doesn't work with kids. Unless yeah, she is talking yeah. to Dr. Crusher on their way to the bridge about how poorly they just treated Wesley. Because he's like, hey, by the way, I have figured out everything that's going on before anybody else has. And they're and like, that's... step aside, kid. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then and, they well, get there and exactly... she's like, and, and Troy's like, oh, what did he say? It was like, it was a, it was a, oh, I can't remember the words he used. What was it? Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you bring the guy who figured it out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and this is exactly the point that uh, that Will Wheaton in his review said, no, the, 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 this is the moment, because here's Wesley saying, like, I figured everything out, the the sensors, the brain scan, mm-hmm. everything before the adults. And he just yes. happens to be there and he happens to see this stuff and he happens to figure it all out that um, yeah, uh, that, that's enough to drive an audience. We know we need to get it. Will Wheaton on the show because I will defend Wesley in this episode against the guy who played Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair enough. All right. 
Fair enough. Um, finally, you know, I have to say that I have to hand it to Damon Bach that his revenge scheme is truly worthy of a Bond villain. Yeah. I mean, he really goes out of his way. Yeah. There, there's technology. There's another ship. There's there's money. What did he say? He's money. a very rich man. And yet it was the profits of two lifetimes to get those two orbs. And I'm trying to figure. OK, so who did he kill? Because if it was more money than, you know, he had. Hmm. <laughs> it's great to hear my favorite Star Trek character back in action. After the practical Joker, I was afraid she'd never get screen time again. I think, Ken, that there are really just sort of two big topics that we'll get into here. And I don't think they're, they're major, you know, you see Timmy moments or hit you over the head with a message, but there are two, two elements to this story that I thought were particularly interesting for discussion. And the first one, the thing that really fascinates me here is the look at memory and self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So you, you talked about the captain being incapacitated before and that, you know, maybe he's been taken over by some sort of outside influence. But the interesting thing to me here is Picard almost incapacitating himself because he has no idea what's going on. And there's a great moment where he says to Crusher, and it's kind of an emotional outburst for him, I just don't know. Mm -hmm. He's very sure of himself at the beginning. And even when things are being revealed about the mind control element here, he still isn't sure. Um, when he's revisited by by the demons of his past, um, even if he was in his right mind, which he questions, he's haunted by the idea that he destroyed a ship full of lives. Mm-hmm. And as many ways as he could justify that, and and as you described in your recap, that that for him it was Tuesday, for the Ferengi, <laughs> it was a major moment, right? But. But even if that's the case, he's got to deal with the fact that, okay, if I really reflect here on who I am and what I do, even if it was self-defense, I still wiped out a ship full of living beings. And and they were living beings that I didn't know and I didn't really have time other than just the, the firefight that we were caught in to make a decision other than to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he's got to live with that. I was thinking about um, I, I've read some interesting articles on memory experiments and how people's memories of events can be changed, even if you were there, even if you were a participant in something that happened. Um, there was an Italian study that that actually changed the memories of people who had been at an historic event. Um, Here's kind of the, the basic premise, and I'm, I'm really paraphrasing and really kind of mangling up the, the details, but I just want to give you the overview here. Uh, a group of people who had been at a, a protest, and this was in the, I believe it was of the late 60s. Um, so some of these people who are still alive today had been, uh, had been interviewed by scientists, and the scientists showed them photos of that event. Now, all in all, it was a peaceful event. It was a very peaceful protest, and the scientists had altered some of the photos for some of the study participants, and they made it look like it was a much uh, – that it was actually a violent 
confrontational protest. And they, they put images of police in there and, and all this stuff, none of which had happened. But then when they interviewed the people who had been there, they started to tell a different story because they had seen these pictures. They started to describe in great detail how they had been at this violent, confrontational, contentious event, making up the details as they went along just because they had been exposed to these photos. So it was a great, uh, great description about how we can not even question our memories, but just go with a new construct of of something that happened in the past. So watching Picard go through this, that's the kind of thing that I was talking about. And I found this great quote, um, Dr. Stephen Novella, who's a, a neuroscientist, and he's the uh, the host of a podcast called Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. They quote Star Trek all the time, so I wanted to quote him. This is fantastic. He says, when someone looks at me and, and earnestly says, I know what I saw, I'm fond of replying, no, you don't. You have a distorted and constructed memory of a distorted and constructed perception, both of which are subservient to whatever narrative your brain is operating under. And I thought that was a nice way to kind of sum up Picard's doubt and his journey in this episode. I thought it was really cool that the Freen could mess with him so much to, uh, to make him question everything that he had done. Well, I mean, there is one advantage that the Ferengi have, or two advantages, I guess, and that would be technology. I mean, not only – I mean, you talked about – okay, so they inserted pictures in the, in, the, in the experiment that you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're playing with Picard's head, or, or really Damon Bach is playing with Picard's head. Addi- Absolutely, yeah. Additionally, um, they've got him – they've got his voice saying, here's what I did. Here's what yeah. happened. Now, I don't think Picard ever actually questions himself on that, although, quick aside – it is kind of funny to me that they're like, oh, they may have been able to fake your voice somehow. Well, ask the kid in engineering. Because, <laughs> I know, right? You know, so can he. I mean, granted, he's only doing like bits and pieces. I mean, we get the sense that he's actually just splicing together words as opposed yeah, to yeah. being able to do a whole big, you know, treatise kind of thing. But it is it is interesting to to see Picard uh, kind of question that about himself. I, I do wonder, though, if they weren't literally beaming things into his mind, would he have... I mean, he strikes me as the kind of character who would, honestly, who can be mm-hmm. brought to thinking about that kind of thing fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kirk is not. Kirk, yeah, I don't right, believe, right. would do that. I mean, it, it really takes up all the way up to uh, Star Trek VI for Kirk to finally go, you know, everything I've thought, <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it may be time for me to step aside from everything I've thought and, uh, and, and move on to something else. Um, yeah, yeah. It is interesting to see Picard do that in, uh, I guess, episode seven. But, I mean, we've, he has been a much more contemplative captain all the way through. I mean, witness the fact that every week it's or every other week it's the prime directive this and the prime directive that. You know, I mean, he's, he's really he's thinking about everything that he, that he does as he goes. Well, yeah, I think that, that's what's interesting about him in this and, and what we've seen of Picard so far is that he, he will take a step back and go, well, wait a minute. Maybe I maybe I did do something wrong. Right. And, and if I did do something wrong, how do I fix that? And how do I how do I maintain the um, uh, sort of my dedication to these principles that, that right. I that I hold very dear? So and yeah, I agree with you. you know, uh, Damon Bach is operating a whole other different technological level. The scientists that I'm describing were using Photoshop. <laughs> presumably <laughs> but photoshop is advanced technology particularly yes. compared to somebody who didn't have that technology 40 50 or 100 years ago um 
the Ferengi are able to do it much more efficiently and much more thoroughly. Uh, but the point is, you, you can monkey around with somebody's perception. You can monkey around with somebody's memory and, and understanding of themselves. And, uh, and that's what they did here. And uh, yes. it, was, it was neat to watch Picard squirm under that. Um, if not just for the questioning of his own history, at least for the idea of questioning what he does. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought that uh, to me was uh, was one of the interesting topics here. And uh, and then I believe, Ken, we, you and I both pulled another kind of interesting topic here uh, yeah. to, well, to delve into. I was absolutely fascinated by, I mean, what it made me think of was, um, again, the whole Battle of Maxia versus Tuesday kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we often say that uh, history is written by the victors, though it may be more accurate to say that history, or at least versions of history, are written by the by the survivors. Um, mm. I personally think Picard is blameless in what happened at Maxia. Um, he was minding his own business. His ship got attacked. It was an unprovoked attack. And right up until he comes up with the Picard maneuver, which I don't think he stopped to name it before he did that. <laughs> right. right up until he comes up with the Picard maneuver, he is still trying to talk to his attackers. And we know that because as he's approaching the Enterprise to destroy it, thinking that it is whatever the nameless uh, Ferengi ship at Maxia was, um, he's still telling them, look, identify yourself, calm down. We don't want to do this. Knock it off. I mean, he's still mm-hmm. talking to them right up to that point. He's still trying to reason with them. Once he destroys the attacking ship, I mean, and, and there's no way to know to whom it belonged, especially since, again, they had never encountered the Ferengi. Uh, there's really nothing that Picard can do. I mean, he can't even go back and say, did we misunderstand something? Was there some treaty we didn't, you know, whatever? Because it was it was not until the last outpost that we made our first actual contact with the Ferengi, at least that we knew about. Now, it turns out at least one other time we have contacted with them, witness the Battle of Maxia or Tuesday, whichever one you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Picard is blameless, but there's still something to the idea that events can be read as completely different depending on which side of the event you're on. Um, totally. This, this was, I mean, a thing that happened to Picard. I mean, that's that's pretty much all it was as far as he is concerned. It's nine years ago. And while he can tap that vein of worry or wonder that you were talking about as to whether or not he you know, did the right thing or if there was something he could have you know, done more, he mostly doesn't. This is something that happened in his past. Mm-hmm. Um, for the Ferengi in general, though, and Daemon Bach in particular, this was the Battle of Maxia. This is a this is like a giant thing. Um. For him, it reminded me, and I'm going to pause for five seconds. I may give you music, I may not. I'm going to spoil Barton Fink and Iron Man 3, okay? okay? And I know it's been 20 years for one of those movies, but still people will write in and say, oh, I've got Barton Fink in my Netflix queue. You got five seconds. Um, Should I hum? Sure. Or should I just wait the five seconds? Uh, Hum. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's been like 10 seconds now where we're trying to decide that. Let's assume assume that the whole music... music (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's for off mic dude that's for off mic just imagine me humming uh the boy from ipanema for five seconds and you'll and you'll find out what john goes through almost every week as we get ready to record all right so here's the thing in barton fink and in iron man 3 uh both of their worlds are torn apart by people that they had slighted um tony stark wins because you know he's tony stark barton fink loses but it was basically just something they did in the past ends up absolutely wrecking their lives for one of them for a little while, for one of them for a very long time. Um, the idea of actions having consequences and, and leading to reactions, uh, this is an interesting thing, especially when it's told well. 
the one thing that's missing here is, I mean, there's no way Picard could have known. In fact, it, it kind of brings up a, an interesting question about the first time that the Ferengi come in contact with, with the Federation or with Starfleet, that it is the victor of the Battle of Maxia that they, that they come up against. I mean, that this was not an issue that time is kind of surprising. Although, if there was never any contact, then how did the Ferengi actually know that it was Picard that did it? Mm. Yeah. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Damon Bach is actually a Bond villain. He is. He, he's got yes. a lot of information. He's got a lot of technical know-how. Yeah. But that, that to me, was the, that was the one thing that, that I sort of came away from this episode with. The idea that what just seems like nothing but a thing to us is, is, well, is either like a slight or a victory for somebody else and vice versa. Something that seems like a crushing defeat for us. It also reminded me of Hemingway, interestingly. It reminded <laughs> right. me, of, reminded yeah. me of a passage from, a, from uh, The Sun Also Rises, I believe it was. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine your your past, uh, you know, coming back to bite you, you know, 20 years later. Like, say, if you were a starship captain and you, you abandoned somebody on a planet and didn't check on them for 20 what? years. That, nobody yeah. would ever do that. That would be crazy. Well, it would be unconscionable to it, do that. Um, it would be, yeah. And then. And, yeah. you know, if they ever got off there, they would they would want to do far worse than kill you. <laughs> they they might be a little peeved. They, they would want to hurt little, you. Yes, yes, they would. <laughs> and, and go on hurting you. Yes. Yeah. Don't do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, a couple of things that I thought of. Yeah, uh, it, it is interesting then to consider just as the way this story is told that the Ferengi know a lot more about the Federation than the Ferengi know about the then the that, Federation that knows free, about the Ferengi. Yes, that's yeah. what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, so they do seemingly have a lot more information. And it also seems that, well, once this battle has taken place and once Picard has abandoned his crew, uh, well, made his crew abandon the ship and they right. all hop in their shuttlecraft and leave, um, you do have to wonder, well, did anybody – plan or try to go back to say, well, we need to kind of forensically analyze what happened here. There's probably a whole lot of blown up Ferengi parts all over this area <laughs> that this just happened. We need to truly, you know, is there is there some sort of post-game analysis other than just saying like, well, here's what Picard said in his report. That's good enough. We've got to move on. Because after all, that was Tuesday. And and now it's next Thursday. <laughs> so that's a really interesting question, although I don't know that it actually affects this episode that much. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't really. But it, it is sort of the um, I, I guess sort of what, what I do and what we both do in this show is we, we try to take a step back and go, OK, what are all the other details that led up to what happened in, in this story? Yeah. Mm. Um, I did think it was interesting that uh, Damon Bach is motivated by revenge mm-hmm. and that as, as any good Bond villain should be. Um, but even his crew are shocked that he's not motivated by profit. And that seemed to be the turning point for them. So when Damon Bach is removed from his power as the, the captain of that ship, we express this kind of honor among Ferengi that we really haven't seen before. And yeah. even though it's a, it's a twisted kind of thing from our perspective, it's like, well, he was on this revenge mission. That's not really what we do. What we do is we go around trying to make a profit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so clearly it, he's crazy. This actually goes sort of to the, um, I've personally never thought that the prime directive is about how we deal with other societies. The prime directive for me is a stand-in for living by whatever code you live by. Mm-hmm. The Ferengi have a prime directive. It's just profit. 
I mean, yeah. they don't, they don't yeah, have yeah, our yeah, prime yeah. directive, but they have a prime directive and, and not living by that. Yeah. Eventually uh, costs Damon Bach. I guess we shouldn't say that those are the only messages here, or I mean, it's, we're not doing the messages, morals, meanings thing, but we do have to mention this one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Bach was removed from command, uh, for his acts of personal vengeance, according mm-hmm. to Riker. Um, mm-hmm. seems there was no profit in it. And Picard yeah. says, in revenge, there never is. Okay, well, that's, you know, uh, yeah. bonk, yeah. bonk on the head. Yeah. <laughs> right. And right. so, I mean, we, we would be remiss. I mean, somebody would write in and say, you guys, like, missed kind of the the one that they wrote for you on the screen. <laughs> in the last outpost, we saw three Ferengi. In the battle, three Ferengi. Is there a rule about how many Ferengi the world can see at one time? You know, the interesting thing about uh, segment three and segment four of this show to me, John? What's that? They, they kind of bleed in to each other. They, they, they sort of they, they cross a bit. Mm-hmm. Right. This well, is well, part- I, I think in the previous segment, we, we sort of we set the stage. Yeah. And now now we bring it home. This is the part where we sum up. Yeah. What we thought might have been the messages, morals and meanings of a given episode and figuring out whether or not they stand the test of time uh, this week. A battle. I'm sorry. The battle. <laughs> Messages, morals, and meanings. John Champion, or as you like to be called, John Champion. What did you take away? Um, well, first of all, I will say that I, I think that this episode is it's not a bad episode in the respect that we have interesting details about Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see his other ship. We get more information about the Ferengi. So in painting the, the picture of this 24th century version of Star Trek, this is all pretty interesting stuff. Um, all in all, I feel like it's kind of inconsequential though. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, if there is a message, well, yeah, that message is about, uh, revenge not being the way to lead your life um and i well it's not necessarily a message i like the attention that is given as i mentioned in the previous segment i like the attention that is given to the idea of our memories maybe not being reliable and you know we we have to kind of put that narrative together as we go along Mm -hmm. um so I, i like the idea that we bring back that actions have consequences and this is something we did talk about in the previous segment a bit um when we mentioned well con (laughs) and others um oh is that what you were talking about oh yeah that uh we we had we had a taste of that in original series episodes like balance of terror where where a battle in space has meaning and and a death of a crew member has meaning Mm -hmm. but too many other times we enter into a battle with with the Klingons or whoever the alien of the week will be, and it's just like a little skirmish on a playground. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh well, we we had this little battle, we we might have won, but on on to next week, <laughs> you know, on to our next mission, and it was really kind of inconsequential. So I, I like the juxtaposition here of having something that had great meaning to the other side and very little meaning to our side, and then reflecting on the idea of you know, why that didn't have meaning and whether or not it should have. I agree with you, Ken, that Picard's actions are totally defensible and totally understandable from any objective point of view. He did what he had to do, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that there wasn't a cost in that. 
and that uh, that that it could spur some sort of uh, revenge or or anger on the other side. Um, so what about you, sir? Well, that would be more of a message, I think. I mean, I do like the fact, yes, I do like the fact that actions have consequences in this episode. I mean, that is really one of the things that you can pick up from the episode. It would be more of a message if it had been something where, well, nine years ago, we were starting to talk to, to the Ferengi and then this happened. I mean, if mm-hmm. if you had the Ferengi trying to make peace or trying to get in touch with the Federation nine years ago, then what you've actually got here is Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. But you don't yeah. have that. What you have instead is Picard's just flying through space. One day, somebody comes that he's never he doesn't know the ship type. He, he gets no communication from him. They're just trying to kill him, right? Yeah. And and he tries to talk to them. He tries to talk to them, and then he blows them out of the sky because that is that that's all he can do at that right. point. I do like that idea that, you know, that, okay, so now uh, all of this action is coming to uh, revisit him years later. Um, It doesn't really seem fair. I mean, as far as if you're writing a story like this, it doesn't seem fair to Picard. It's just like something that's, you know, it it was crazy when it happened the first time. And it's just as crazy when it happens the second time because there was no tie in between the two as far as anybody knew. Mm-hmm. That said, I really do like the idea that, yes, we are we are seeing that you can't just (laughs) blow something up. And, mm-hmm. and have no consequences. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly the the one that we ended with at the very end of, of Revenge not being a profitable venture, you know, I agree with that. I mean, that just, you know, it's um, that just leads to more vengeance, you know. Right. Somebody feels slighted, so they hit you, so you hit them, so they hit you harder, so you hit them harder. I mean, it just, it, it you know, there is no profit in that, as they say. Yeah, yeah. As far as whether the episode holds up, it's fine, I mean, I like the fact, you know, you always want every episode to be like the one that just, you know, really hits you in the heart and really speaks to you and and that you can always point to and say, ah, this is the Mm -hmm. episode that you want. You know, this is the one, but they can't all be the one. Uh, Thankfully, they're also not all the naked now. And and, (laughs) and this is this is a fine episode. I mean, this is there's nothing there's nothing really wonderful to recommend it, except for the scene where where um, Patrick Stewart is having his almost breakdown. I mean, he's certainly as emotional as he's ever been. I was actually looking down, making notes, at the, obviously, because I make notes when I'm watching. I was looking down, making notes the last time we watched it. And, and his performance, just the way his voice works in that, yeah. made me look up. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's a great actor. And, you know, it doesn't mean he always gets to do great acting per episode. It depends on director. It depends on script. It depends on a lot of things. But he's a great actor, and he gets a moment of really great acting in this episode. That said, if you skip this episode, you're not missing much. Um, but if you watch this episode, you get a decent episode of Star Trek. It's not, you know, is it the most Star Trek Star Trek ever? Mm, no, it's not the most, but it's got some good messages. It's got some good morals in it. And um, it definitely does. It does fill in a bit more about the universe, which we're finding in next gen is going to be a much bigger, much more important thing than in the original series. I mean, not only do the actions have yeah, consequences, not only the actions um, consequential, I guess, but you're going to get more detailed because you're living in a much more detailed universe than you were um, when when it was Kirk and crew. It, it, it's funny. Can you picture 27-year-old Rob Bowman directing 40-something-year-old Patrick Stewart, this incredibly gifted actor <laughs> who who can take this character to incredible heights. It, this, this kid 
directing this guy. Well, you know what? Uh, maybe if your voice would break a little bit when you have that uh, that moment of self-doubt, uh, see, see what you can do with that. I would, I would be so terrified and intimidated to mm. even have that conversation. Um, but <laughs> well, dude, that's why Rob Bowman directed Star Trek The Next Generation, and we're doing a podcast about Star Trek <laughs> right, The Next Generation. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, it, it, it's fabulous uh, um, in, in that respect. Um, and, and I agree with you. This is a fine, this is even a good episode of Next Generation. And when I say it's inconsequential, I don't mean that it, it should be tossed out. Right. It just means that, yeah, if you happen to miss it, well, right. you're not missing part of the big picture here not to jump too far ahead but if you miss skin of evil you have missed something (laughs) something big has happened that you've missed if you miss the battle well maybe you should go back and watch it sometime because it tells you a little bit but you haven't really missed uh you haven't missed anything that is going to be (laughs) despite the fact that the whole episode seems to be about the fact that actions have consequences you you really don't have to watch this episode (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you'll be fine unless of yes. course nine years from now somebody comes up and says so i hear you didn't watch the battle right right in which right. case you're you're kind of hosed yeah uh ken before we say goodbye uh, i want to give a mention to roddenberry.com if people haven't checked it out please do um you may or may not know that roddenberry has created some very cool graphic novels uh they started out with days missing totally original property to roddenberry and uh, their current and newest property worth uh which has a premise that i really dig the idea is that a superhero who was a a huge important character in the 60s who could control machines is now finding it a little more difficult to live in the late 20th and early 21st century era of technology as things have changed from, say, machines to microprocessors. So what happens when a superhero doesn't really have his heroics and uh, that is a story that is followed in worth check it out at roddenberry.com next week wow it's like old home week for the first uh, for the first uh, season or for the first seven or eight episodes right we had the ferengi we've got the ferengi again we started off with q next week hide and q Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. If I offended anyone, or did anything wrong in this episode, I apologize. Seriously. Let that be it. I don't want to hear about this nine years from now. And transmission. <laughs>